my name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today. And uh, as of 2.30, yesterday afternoon, uh, after 12 days, we finally, finally got power. <sighs> Please clap. I'm still doing the happy dance. Uh, whatever. I won't show you what that looks like. That'd be odd. But uh, I was coming home from uh, getting my hair cut, and uh, the place I go is literally a mile away from my house. And uh, as I was making my way kind of through the neighborhood back to my house, I started noticing that lights were on. And the house is like their, their porch lights, their garage lights. I'm like, those lights are never on. Those lights are never on. This is a good sign. And then came around one cur- uh, turn where uh, there had been like 12 uh, electric trucks just all parked there. I'm like, they're gone. This is great, great news. I made my way down Woodland and all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's more lights on. I think we have power. <sighs> so glorious. I've had more showers in the last 24 hours than I have had in the last uh, 12 days. And uh, I've just, I'm now taking showers just because I can. Uh, our hot water heater is like this electric uh, gas, like hybrid thing. And so uh, that's why we haven't had hot water. And so I was like, I just won't shower because that's logical right there. And, uh, and so it's been glorious. And I woke up this morning <laughs> and I've just been so used to the routine I've been in. I wake up. And uh, the house was, you know, 47, 50 degrees. And I would stay in bed longer just because it was warm. And I'd just lay there for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, thinking to myself, I don't want to get out of bed because it's really cold outside of these blankets. And I'd finally make my way out, outside of the blankets. I learned something a couple days in that if you uh, uh, took your clothes and put them in your bed, that when you woke up the next morning, they would be warm. Survival tips right there. And uh, so I would put on my warm clothes that I slept with all night, and I would uh, make my way downstairs, and my, my routine would start for 12 days. I would go outside and gas up the generator, and whoever uh, have developed the safety like latches on gas cans, do you remember the old gas cans where they were just metal with a lid? Now you have to turn and pull and push and dump. Like, it's complicated, and so I'd get gas everywhere, but I figured those out. And I'd gas up the generator. I'd put oil in the generator. I'd start the generator, let the generator warm up, then go start plugging in everything in my house. So we just have some power throughout the house. And I'd start a fire and I'd get my dog out of the cage and she was so cold and her little nose was cold. I was like, oh, the poor dog, you know, and she take her out. You know, it was like this whole process every day, every day. And this morning I woke up and I'm like, Oh, the house is warm and my clothes are warm and there's no hum of the generator and I, I, I can just make coffee and it's really easy to make coffee now and the dog's warm so the dog's happy and, and I thought about my 12 days and then you watch a video like this, perspective, right? It's perspective. I mean, our inconveniences seem so small the last 12 days compared to what other people have gone through. But I loved what she said in the video. We're fortunate. My kids are fine. I'm fine. I mean, she said so many people that, that have it worse off, right? Perspective. Last week, if you were here, I... I kind of just shared some thoughts from my heart, and I, I shared a story that Jesus told in the Bible, 
It's called the, the, uh, the Good Samaritan. It's one of the stories that uh, whether you're churched or you've been around a church before, or even if you haven't, you probably have heard the story or a version of the story. And it was just simply about you know, a Samaritan man who f- finds a Jewish man who's been beaten and robbed and left half dead. And uh, Samaritans uh, 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 and Jews, they didn't get along. Actually, Jews hated Samaritans. But the Samaritan man stopped and cared for him and not just cared for him, picked him up and bandaged him and uh, took time and, and, and leveraged his resources and put him on his donkey and took him to an inn and paid for all of it. And the, stories, uh, the story that Jesus tells, it's, it's really a kind of, a, it's one of those kind of passionate pleas to serve people and to help people and it gets you motivated to do so. But the most powerful part isn't the story that Jesus tells. It's when Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's the most powerful point. That whole story is Jesus saying, hey, go and do likewise. You know, I try to think about how to frame this with words this morning of what uh, we've experienced this last week the stories that have been rolling in, the generosity that's been levied. And I, there's, there's just, I couldn't come up with the right words to express the number of people that have followed Jesus' command to go and do likewise. It's inspiring, it's amazing, it's awesome, whatever cliche word you want to come up with. It's all of those. I think about uh, last, a week ago Friday, where we delivered these 1,100 sack lunches to uh, Staten Island. It kind of started all of this. And uh, uh, I read an email last week from uh, a group of people uh, from Alex Circle. I'm assuming it's a cul-de-sac or a neighborhood in Staten Island. And the person writing the email was writing it for all the people kind of connected with her in her neighborhood saying thank you. And uh, we got another email that I'd like to share with you. And uh, he writes, on behalf of our staff here at the Coast Guard Command Center in Staten Island, thank you so much for the lunches you provided tonight. Our staff has been working tirelessly since before Hurricane Sandy arrived and we are so thankful to, to have such wonderful support. Thanks again. But here's the coolest part of the email. You see, one of the things we did was uh, uh, we put in every little sack lunch uh, a card that says, we're praying for you. And we put on their Renaissance church. Not so much for it to be about Renaissance. Uh, but we just wanted people to know that the church is caring. That the church is involved. That the church is there for them. And we just wanted the church... Um, to have the, the spotlight on the church. And so the last line of his email, he wrote this, as a Christian, it makes me proud to see our churches making a difference. God bless you all. Yeah, right? Isn't that amazing? I mean, that email came in and we just all kind of paused saying, that's, that's the point, that's the point. I, I don't know this guy, but I wonder what type of conversations have now opened up for him, for the men and women he works with, 
the church is making a difference. Today, our Elevate student ministry are making uh, uh, 800 uh, sack lunches to take back down to Staten Island today. I mean, incredible. I was talking to a dad after the last service, and he came up to me and said, hey, uh, uh, they needed you know, food to be donated. And so he said, I, I told him that I'd, I'd get the 800 juice boxes to go in the lunches. And so I just started, um, he lives here in Summit. He goes, I just started talking to my, my neighbors on my street and said, hey, we need 800 juice boxes. He goes, uh, by the time uh, everyone was done dropping off juice boxes at my house, over 1,100 juice boxes were donated on that one street. I mean, these are the stories I've been rolling in. Last Sunday, uh, uh, after just three services where I just said, hey, please, if, if you have nothing going on this afternoon, come serve. Even if you have something going on, cancel your plans. Just come down to Staten Island. And we had over 70 people on the spot to say, well, we're going. And we all caravan down there. And uh, my wife and I uh, uh, got down to Staten Island last Sunday and uh, our car got loaded up with a bunch of supplies. And they said, hey, just you need to go take those to Midland. And I'm like, what's Midland? They're like, well, it's just a street. Go find it. I'm like, okay. And so we found Midland and uh, we found this relief center. Well, it was actually a pet store that had been totally uh, just wiped out because of the, the, the tidal surge. And so it was empty. It was just completely uh, empty, and uh, it had been kind of tra- uh, transformed into this relief center. And so we got there, and we had all these supplies. And uh, you know, I kind of got out of my car going, okay, I need to find the person in charge, see what type of plan they have, and how I can help them execute the plan, right? I got out, and I realized uh, <laughs> there is no plan. It's called disaster relief. You're just helping people. And so we found this guy and this gal, and they were, I, I guess they were in charge. They at least acted like they were in charge. And so we just started helping, and car after car would pull up, filled with items, flashlights and water and diapers and you name it. And we started stacking stuff and as, as quickly as we could stack it in this relief center. People were coming to take it to, take it to their house. And then this lady told uh, my wife and I, they were like, hey, there's a relief uh, center at TJ Maxx. It's a mile down Midland. You kind of go down Midland, take a left. It's right there. Can you take a bunch of stuff there? Because uh, there's a lot of people there without food. And so we filled up our car again and made our way down there. And uh, we got to this parking lot and there's all these people. And uh, we pulled up and then another minivan who was part of Renaissance, they pulled up with all, all this food. And uh, also I walked into a conversation where this one gal from, from Renaissance, she was having this conversation with this young couple. And this young couple had a minivan and uh, she was explaining to them that, that just less than a mile away, I mean, one turn onto Midland. There's hot meals. There's more relief centers with a ton of food. And their entire facial expression was like just, they, they were so desperate and they didn't realize that food was so close to them. You know, when you're in shock, when your entire world gets flipped upside down, you know, you don't think and see clearly. And we were just able to say to them, hey, it's so close. Hot food is so close for you and your family and your kids. Canned food is so close. You just, just drive there. And we told everyone in this parking lot, hey, you guys are so close to food. Just make a right. It's there. We've had work crews all week. We had another work crew yesterday with a couple other churches that joined Renaissance. Uh, there's a work crew that left uh, just about 25 uh, minutes ago to go back down there today. Uh, uh, last Sunday, we had over 60 heaters donated um, 
Many of you brought them from your house. You heard about it. You brought heaters. We took them, distributed them. Uh, this week, uh, we were able to purchase another 60 uh, heaters, portable heaters, and we uh, delivered them to Staten Island. Uh, we're helping this small little church called Worship and Praise Community Church. And uh, uh, if you weren't here last week, you missed the story. And so I'll give you the 30-second version. It's one of the stories that only God can orchestrate. Only God can make this up. And uh, uh, we, uh, we uh, somehow found our way a week ago Friday with these 1,100 uh, lunches. We found our way to this little dive bar on Staten Island called the Drunken Monkey. And uh, I'm not joking. And, uh, and so this, this little dive bar was um, a relief hub. And so uh, as we were uh, 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 piling up all this food in the Drunken Monkey, uh, this one gal came in and... Uh, I didn't know who she was. My wife knew who she was, and everyone else did, which really concerns me that everyone knew who she was. But uh, uh, she's this reality TV star. Her name is Big Ange, and she was part of uh, uh, Mob Wives with some show, and now she has a VH1 show called Big Ange. And so, uh, so she comes in, and, uh, and then her sidekick or her friend, whatever, Little Jen, comes in, and I guess she was a mob wife. I'm like, oh, these mob wives, I feel safe or scared. And... Uh, <laughs> And so they come in, it's, it's Big Angie's Bar, and uh, uh, through that, they connect us into this little church called Worship and Community, or uh, Praise and Worship Community Church, or Worship and Praise, I always get mixed up, Community Church. And uh, so now we have this, this church-turned-relief center uh, partnering with Renaissance Church from Summit, New Jersey, partnering with Mob Wives. Wow, right? <laughs> That's a book somewhere. Uh, and then... Uh, <laughs> And then now, we're, uh, now they're bringing in all their friends and family members, which all of them are part of construction crews somewhere from Staten Island, which is scary. And, um, and we're working together to help uh, South Beach. Uh, uh, we had teams that brought in 18 big metal shelving units to uh, help start organizing all the food and uh, items that's been uh, donated uh, we have a person who's part of Renaissance Church, and uh, just him, and he owns a, a, a company that him and his company are donating the time and the supplies, and they've uh, rebuilt their entire boiler so that they, they can have heat. Um, we're installing two water heaters there as well so that they have hot water. Um, we had a whole crew helping to demo the basement of the church, again, so there's more space so people can sleep. And uh, they have more uh, 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 room for the relief efforts. And so they're repairing the walls and the flooring to get this small little church up and going. So not only they can be a church, but they can be a light to the community. We have a team of people helping uh, work on corporate donations. And already Fellows has donated, donated money. Lasco is giving us 40% off of heaters. Um, and the list goes on. Uh, we had a, a, a member of our student ministry staff who... Uh, was going to run the New York City Marathon, and kind of what God did within his spirit was to put on his heart uh, to run the marathon anyway. And so uh, they, they started up this groundswell movement called Run Anyway. So there's a Facebook site, so you can go on there and check it out. And so last Sunday, over 2,000 people ran the New York City Marathon in Central Park. And uh, part of their entire movement is about connecting people into what Renaissance is doing. But it's not about Renaissance. It's about the church helping people with Sandy Relief. And so we're having people donate from Run Anyway from around the country, the world, who, who have read about what we're trying to accomplish, and they want to be a part of it. And I got a call two days ago, and Adidas 
reached out to Run Anyway and said, hey, we have all this merchandise from the New York City Marathon, and we want to we donate it. Uh, and we don't want fanfare. We don't want all the publicity and the hype. We just want to give this merchandise, brand new merchandise away. And so, um, so uh, I was called and said, hey, you know, we want Renaissance Church with Run Anyway, with Adidas to come together to do this. And through those conversations, basically a third of it is going to be distributed today on Staten Island. You know, as these, these uh, organizations come together. Well, Adidas said, well, okay, a third goes to Staten Island, great. But the other two-thirds, we, we want to get out to the rest of the world. And uh, so can you guys help us do that? And so uh, uh, on the phone, I was like, I got the perfect person that could, could get this done. I have a good friend of mine. His name is Wampa. And uh, he, uh, he leads, he works for a World Vision. And maybe you've heard of World Vision. They're around the world, major, major organization that gets food and supplies into to countries, helping kids and families. And, uh, uh, and so he, he kind of leads a team World Vision. He organizes races. Like he had a whole team for New York City Marathon to raise awareness and raise money uh, for people in need. And so, uh, so right now we're working with Team World Vision to help Adidas run anyway in Renaissance Church get this other two-thirds of the merchandise to people in need around the world. Isn't that amazing? Right? Yes, clap, cheer. Like, these, are, these are the things that, that we couldn't do, that God's, God's getting done. We were contacted by the Short Hills Junior League and they wanted all the things they donate, they want to give to the church. Uh, there's another nonprofit called Be the Momentum, and they were like, we want, we want Renaissance Church to kind of be the hub with us so as stuff comes in, you guys can help us get it out. We had a church from Muncie, Indiana, pulling to Staten Island with two smokers, and they're cooking hot barbecue for people. And all I could think of is, man, we only gave peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> I should have bought a couple smokers. That had been good. And uh, uh, in this last week... Both Renaissance Church and people um, from around the country. We had another church uh, raise money last weekend as well. But all collective, um, we have brought in, uh, this is so cool, we have brought in over $67,000 for Sandy Relief. You know, you pause and you think about Jesus' command to go and do likewise. That's the church being the church. That's the church being the hope of the world. That's the church reflecting God's love and his mercy to all people. And if you're still wondering how to get uh, uh, involved, just go to our website, renaissancechurch.org. You can click on the huge banner, banner, uh, or you can just go forward slash Sandy, however you want to get there. And you can click on uh, top needs, and that list gets updated all the time. You can go to met needs and uh, just read about what we're doing right now. And uh, it's not an exhaustive list. We're getting it updated as quickly as we can. But there's stories like this 1,100 juice boxes from one street and summit uh, you know, that we're just learning about. And so uh, if you have a story, please let us know because we want to capture what God's doing in all areas. Uh, if you want to donate financially, it's one of the things we've talked about. You know, 100% of what you give to Sandy goes to Sandy. Uh, there's no administrative cost. There's no any other cost. 100% goes straight to helping people. And that help is getting to people right away. Uh, you can also... Uh, click on our Amazon wish list because we understand some people would rather just buy items than donate money, which is totally cool. Uh, and that's another way for people around the country 
to send items and to know what to purchase. Uh, but the most important thing is their stories. Just take a few minutes and read through the stories of what's going on. Try to grasp the totality of what God is able to do through extreme tragedy to bring people together, to bring hope and support and encouragement in a time of desperate need. Well, today, I want to spend a few minutes kind of taking the next step after this kind of go and do likewise. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever... Now, I, I am always uh, concerned that when I like, personalize some of these stories and these thoughts that I'm going to be the only one standing up here who's ever thought this before. And this is one of these moments where I'm like, I hope I'm not the only one who's ever thought these, uh, these thoughts before. I don't think I am. But have you ever, Christmas is coming, have you ever purchased a Christmas present or went to go purchase a Christmas present and you thought about last year and what that person gave you last year? because you don't want to buy something underneath of what they gave you? Have you ever thought that? Or am I the only, uh, only person in this room? Please help me out. Someone's like, yeah, just sympathy, yes. Like, if not, I'm, I'm a real messed up person. But right, you go purchase, and you want to give them a nice gift, but you go, well, last year they gave me that, and I think that was worth that amount, and I can't go underneath that. That'd be cheap of me. So you just, not to one-up them, but you just don't want to, right? Have you ever, have you ever gone to someone's house before? And all you thought about was the last time they came to your house, they brought you a really nice bottle of wine. And so now you start thinking, oh, I got to bring them a bottle of wine because they brought me a bottle of wine. And that bottle of wine that I bring them better just be a little nicer than that bottle that they brought. Right? Am I the only one who's thought this? Have you ever gone to help a neighbor? Maybe uh, this last uh, uh, week or two, you've went to help a neighbor and you really want to help them out. But somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking to yourself, I know where they work and they could really get me some good seats on Broadway. Have you ever had that thought? I'm not saying that's why you do it, but it's in the back of your mind. Have you ever stayed late to help your boss? Oh yeah, you're passionate about that project, but you're thinking about that bonus at the end of the year. Have you ever? I'm not saying it's your complete motivation, but yet we attach strings sometimes to our acts of kindness, don't we? And sometimes we attach a string or maybe a big rope between our act of kindness and God. Have you ever, as you're doing something nice for someone, maybe you're out in Staten Island and you're thinking, well, man, God, I've, I've walked away from you. I, God, I I know I haven't followed you like I should have. God, I haven't been spending enough time with you. And if I do this random act of kindness, God, maybe God, you'll love me more. Or if I do this act of kindness, maybe the sin that I, I'm in the middle of or the sin from my past or the sin that, that I'm engaging in now, maybe if I do this random act of kindness, God, you will forgive my sin more. Or if I do this act of kindness, God, you will be closer to me. You see, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that there's times where we go and do likewise, but yet we attach these strings and we attach them to God, thinking that if 
If we do something nice, God will love us more. If we do something nice, God will forgive us more. If we do something nice, God will be closer. If we do something nice, God will look more favorably upon us. And I'm pretty sure that maybe you've sat in a church where that's been taught. There's a story. It's found in John chapter 13. And it's this this moment. I mean, just hours before Jesus is uh, arrested and put on trial, dragged through the streets and crucified. And Jesus and his 12 closest friends all kind of make their way to this small little room. It's actually a guest room. You probably have seen the painting of the Last Supper. It didn't look like that at all. They didn't have a massive wooden table with a white tablecloth all sitting in line together. They were probably in this 10 by 10 cramped room. 12 grown men, 13 grown men. They weren't wearing fine robes. They weren't rich. And they all come in together. And there must have been this tension inside this room. Because they all knew that something was going to happen. They all knew that, that, that this entire journey, this three-year journey that they had been on with Jesus was kind of coming to that epicenter. But you see, you have to remember that the disciples, these 12 men... They thought Jesus was going to be this earthly king that was going to raise up a Jewish army to ride in on a white horse with a big sword and to lead the charge to conquer, to overtake Rome. And so they thought it was getting close to that moment. And they were waiting and they're waiting. I mean, we even see just a few hours later that Peter was in the garden and when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter had his sword on. He pulled his sword out, cut off the soldier's ear and Jesus like, well, put that away. They thought Jesus was gonna be an earthly king that God the son came down to this earth to lead the Jews against the Roman government. And so they, they found themselves in this small little room. In the middle of dinner, Jesus gets up. He takes off his his kind of outer garment. It'd be like me uh, at Thanksgiving here in a week and a half. If you invited me over to dinner, I'd be sitting at your dinner. And in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner, it'd be me standing up and just taking off my sweater. Awkward, right? I mean, you'd probably first say, hey, Chris, please put that back on and get back to the gym. You shouldn't be taking your clothes off, right? It'd just be that awkward moment. Jesus stands up and they're all eating. All of a sudden he starts taking his clothes off and they're like, oh, whoa, Jesus, we're close, but hey, not that, that's weird. Then Jesus grabs a towel and wraps it around his waist. He gets this basin and fills it with water and sits down and starts scrubbing feet. I mean, in our culture, that would be highly, highly uh, bizarre. 
If I showed up at your house and you had a basin of water and you said, hey, take off your shoes, I'm going to wash your feet. That'd just be bizarre. You know, several thousand years ago, it was customary. But you see, who washed feet 2,000 years ago? It wasn't just the slave. It was the lowest slave kind of on that, that, that importance rung. I mean, the lowest of the low slave got the feet washing duty. I mean, feet were nasty. I mean, feet are nasty now. I, I, have, a, I have a foot phobia. It's weird. Um, but feet back then, I mean, they would, their shoes were this like slab of material with a rope tied, tied around to keep it on the bottom of their feet. They walked across dusty, dirty, rocky roads. Animals were every, everywhere, and animals do what animals do, and that stuff was everywhere. And so the lowest of the low slave would wash feet, and all of a sudden they watched Jesus, their king, the Messiah, start scrubbing feet. And Jesus started working his way down the line or around the circle. And I'm not sure where Peter was in the order. I don't know if he was uh, second or third or eighth or second from the end, but Peter started watching this take place and I'm sure he's sitting there thinking to himself going, why are these other guys allowing Jesus the king to wash their feet? This is for the the servant of the servants of the servants. This isn't for a king, let alone God. Why why are they allowing Jesus to do this? And then it gets to Peter. It says this in verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I'm sure there's this look of indignation as he kind of glared at the other 11 guys in this room going, I can't believe you would let him wash your feet or you'd consider letting him wash your feet. You guys are crazy. This is Jesus. And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand See, Jesus, Jesus understood this entire moment. I mean, he's looking at Peter saying, hey, Peter, your next 12 hours are going to be some of the most chaotic hours of your entire life. Everything that you thought is going to be turned upside down. Your emotional world is going to be turned inside out. Chaos is going to ensue. Peter, you're going to watch watch me get arrested, put on trial, beaten, flogged, and hung on a cross and die. And for three days, you're going to sit there wondering if what you believed was real, what who you had followed was real, what you'd given your life for was real. And you're going to spend these three chaotic, chaotic days of people coming out of the woodwork saying, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. He was fake. He was phony. He wasn't real. You followed a lie. And then, Peter, you're going to see me conquer death. And then you're going to realize it had nothing to do with an uh, earthly kingdom. It had everything to do with an eternal kingdom. And he just looked at Peter and said, hey, later you'll figure this out. Later you'll know. And then Peter comes back in classic P 
Peter form. He speaks before he thinks. And he goes, no, absolutely not, never. You will never wash my feet. I'm sure he looked around to the other 11 saying, you guys should be saying the same thing too. He's Jesus. He doesn't wash feet. Slaves of slaves wash feet, but not Jesus. Jesus, no, uh uh-uh, not going to touch him. Listen to what Jesus says. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I'm sure the other 11 starts like just laughing. (laughs) There goes Peter again, sticking his foot in his mouth. I'm sure the other 11 were thinking, that's why we don't speak up around Jesus, because he's already always right. Peter's always wrong. But what a statement. You will have no part with me. No part. Peter comes back. Classic Peter fashion. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Okay, fine, give me a bath. Give me a bath. While you're at it, I'm good with it. Then Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. Oh, but get this. Though not every one of you. Oh, do you think there was some tension in the room at that point? I mean, I think they're, they're all looking around this room going, okay. What are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds? Only one out of 12. Okay, one out of 12. That's pretty good odds that I'm not one of the 12s. But one person in this room is not clean? What does that mean? Who could that be? In verse 11, it says, For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not every one of them was clean. The most important verse, in my opinion, of this entire moment, verse 12. When he finished washing their feet, whose? All 12, including Judas Iscariot, Judas the betrayer, Judas. He washed Judas's feet. And I wonder when Jesus came to Judas. And without having to say a word, I wonder if Jesus looked up in Judas's eyes and just kind of stared in his eyes and just said, hey, I'm just going to scrub a little longer, Judas. I'm sure in that look, Jesus said to Judas, I know what you're going to do. You don't have to. You have a choice, Judas. What choice are you going to make? And I'm sure in that stare, even though Jesus knew exactly the choice he was going to make, I'm sure in that stare, Jesus said, Judas, I love you this much much, that I'm still washing your feet. I'm still washing your feet. Jesus got up, put his clothes on. He says, and he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? I'm sure he looked at 11 and thought one thing and he looked at Judas and thought something else. 
Judas, do you realize what, I, what I've done for you? Even though in a few moments you're going to run out of this house and you're going to sell me out. Do you realize what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Why do we serve? What motivates us to serve? What motivates us to lift people up and help them in time of need? What drives us to do what we do? The example that Christ set for us. If you're a Christ follower, I hope you understand that what should drive you to serve people, whether people hit by Hurricane Sandy or your spouse or your kids or your boss or your employees, it's an act of worship in response to what Christ has done and modeled for you. And if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, I hope you get another picture of who Jesus was. Hours before he was going to be arrested and put on trial and crucified, he was scrubbing feet. That's who Jesus is. And I want you to know, the next time you go to serve someone and there's a voice that says to you, yeah, you need to do that because you haven't really been following God lately and you want God to love you a little bit more, you want God to like you a little bit more, the next time you go to serve and do an act of kindness and you hear that voice and say, yeah, you better do that really good because you know that sin that you did or that sin that you're doing now, the acts that you're doing now, and you know God doesn't like that, you better do a lot of that random acts of kindness. Why? So God will forgive you more. The next time you hear that voice and there's strings attached to it, you need to sever those strings because you need to realize God can't love you any more than he does right now. He loves you implicitly. And God can't forgive you any more than his son going to a cross for you. You're forgiven completely. And God can't be any closer to you than he is right now. Why should you serve? Not to get more of God's love, you have it completely. Not to get more of his forgiveness, you have it completely. You serve in the act of worship, understanding what Christ did for you. You want to go and do likewise. You go and do likewise and you start scrubbing feet. And you lift people up. That's why we serve. That's why we do what we do. So when you hear that voice in your head, because it's not going to be this magical cure, you're going to still walk out and you're still going to feel the guilt or something's going to compel you to say, I got to do something nice. And you're going to start thinking about what, what you did this last week and the lies you told and the things you looked at and the things you did. And you're, you're still going to think to yourself, well, if I do something nice, maybe God will. And as soon as that 
thought comes into your mind, to simply say this, whether in your mind or out loud, go and do likewise. It's an act of service. God can't love me anymore and forgive me anymore. He loves me completely. He's forgiven me completely. And start breaking those strings that you've attached to God. You serve because Christ served you. And out of a response of worship to him, you serve back. And Jesus then said this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The blessing is what God can do within you when you scrub feet, when you serve people, when you encourage people, when you lift people up. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time today. Thank you for what you're doing across this Northeast. For Pastor Jones and Worship and Praise Community Church, for the many other churches on Long Island, Staten Island, Manhattan, down the shore, for people coming together, some of the most unlikeliest of people coming together. Lord, I pray that the church will shine and that your people will be the light and that we serve not under guilt or strings that we attach to it, but God, we serve out of just worship to you because you love us completely and your forgiveness is unending. In your name I pray, amen.